Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Athletes Rising. I'm your host, Kelly Gray. This episode, we are joined by Sonia Looney. Uh, what you're going to find in this one is just such an amazing conversation around the world of mountain biking, the various kinds of mountain bike races that there are, um, how Sonia found mountain biking as like her calling, um, and the various decisions that she had to make in order to become a world champion. And so I think everybody's going to really enjoy this one. Please, please give it a listen. Enjoy every single second of it and spread the word. All right. Without any further ado, let's enjoy this episode of Athletes Rising with Sonia Looney. All right, hey everybody, welcome to this episode of Athletes Rising. This is episode nine. Today we are joined by world champion mountain biker Sonia Looney. Sonia, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Um, couldn't be more excited about having you on here. Uh, we've had a lot of soccer people, just because that's all my background. We've had a, a couple of other people as well, but mountain biking is one that you don't generally hear too much about in mainstream uh, when it comes to, uh, especially kids playing sports, but you know, having kids myself, knowing that they all have mountain bikes and are super into it, I'm, I'm super excited about this conversation. Me too. And it's been really cool in the last, I'd say, decade. Kids mount, kids on bikes, especially mountain bikes, is a huge growing segment. And there's um, something called the National Interscholastic Cycling Association, where a lot of uh, high schools in North America actually have a cycling team now. So it's, it's actually growing, and it's super cool to see. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I, they definitely didn't have that when I was coming through school and I probably would have been on that team. Yeah. I, I grew up mountain biking. I loved it. Awesome. Um, so let's just, let's just dive right into kind of your youth and we'll kind of work our way to when you found um, mountain biking and then get into some of the, the other things that you're working on as well. But let's just start with childhood. What, I mean, I'm going to guess you were an, an active child like myself and played all sorts of sports. I was, I actually grew up playing soccer, believe it or not. And I played, Yay. Yeah, I played from a young age until about ninth grade, and I, I loved soccer. I played on a traveling rep team. Um, I, I played left left halfback was my position, and I, yep. I had posters of Mia Hamm on my, on my wall. Um, but when I got to high school, I had to choose between a few different sports. I was also playing tennis, and my whole family were our tennis players. Uh-huh. So I ended up choosing to be in band because I couldn't do band and soccer. And I still wonder <laughs> to this day, like how my life would have been different had I chosen soccer. Yeah. But I did band um, in the fall and then I did tennis in the spring. And that's what I did for the majority of high school until my senior year when I decided that I was going to start running like long distance running. And I decided yeah. to just train for a marathon. So I was doing tennis practice and going to the gym and running a ton, not knowing very much about endurance sports and ended up giving myself a stress fracture. And I oh. started doing spin class at the gym to help me rehab and recover from this injury and ended up finding that I really enjoyed going to spin class. And some guys at my work uh, invited me to go mountain biking. Um, I was about 20 and I decided that because I've had run marathons before and I had gone to spin class at the gym that, sure, I'll try this thing called mountain biking. Yeah. And two weeks later, I signed up for my first race. <laughs> two weeks later? That's incredible. <laughs> kind of all or none when it comes to sports. Anytime I try a new sport, the next day I'm ready to start racing. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's so interesting, though, because, um, you know, this podcast is a lot about kind of how adversity um, and challenges that we get help us grow as people and especially as an athlete it's when you have you find failure and how do you respond to that in order to 
um, to, to reach that next plateau. And so I find that really interesting that, like you said, kind of through sports, you end up actually getting this stress fracture and that going through that and adversity is actually what helps you find what has now become the huge passion of your life. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of times that bad things happen or, or unplanned things happen in our lives. We think yeah. that, that, that it is a setback, but the setback is the path. Like it, it's, yeah. it's going to happen no matter what, if, if you're going to do take on any challenge in your life, there are going to be things that don't go to plan, but it's being flexible when those things happen and also being open to opportunities and being willing to explore other options, which it, it can be really hard to do that whenever you've been set down a path for so long. So <clears throat> let's just talk about, um, before we even get into the mountain biking, just some of the, uh, the youth sports that you played. Did you excel as an athlete in both tennis and soccer or other sports that you played? I did. I, I wouldn't say that I excelled at like a high national level. Um, it's really interesting. I think this might be a controversial topic to bring up, but sure. I, I think that coaching and access to good coaching and programs really can affect uh, a kid's ability to pursue sport at a higher level. And my husband yeah. played, um, you know, college basketball and he, he, he and I have talked about this at great length in that if we had received different types of coaching growing up, maybe we would have been able to get even farther in our respective youth sports. Yeah. But yeah, like I'd say at the state level, I did really well in, in all the sports that I chose to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, um, that's kind of a good point you bring up about the coaching side of things, because, you know, I have my own philosophies about specifically soccer and kind of why as a country we have tended to lack in, uh, in developing world-class players. Um, and I think a lot of it comes down to the access to professional coaching at younger ages. And really, I think if you want to take it one step further than that, it has to do with the fact that professional coaching costs a lot of money. Yeah. And specifically in soccer, we've, we've made, we've made the world's poorest sport, a rich kid's sport. And if we had a way of turning all of that around, then I think we'd actually be able to uh, develop players at a much, much higher rate. But, you know, once we solve that problem, somebody or somebody will solve that problem and have to let me know. <laughs> Absolutely. And also in my family, education was always the number one thing. Like mm -hmm. I, there weren't a ton of elite or high level athletes or, or actually I think I'm the first one in my family. And it was always make sure that you get straight A's first and then yeah. worry about your sports second. And I think that there, there is some sacrifice that has to happen at a young age um, when it comes to choosing between the time that you want to dedicate towards academics and sports. Yep. Uh, you know, I can't, I can't say from firsthand experience that I know what that's like, but I, I've, I moved to Canada about five years ago and I know that mm -hmm. hockey is a massive thing for younger people. And yeah. yeah, people like are taken out of school at a young age to pursue hockey and um, I think the values of the family can actually hinder or, or help in these different situations. Yeah, I totally, I, I really could not agree more with you on that one. Well, so you found mountain biking when you were 20 through an injury and through some guys at work saying, let's go out for a ride. So two weeks in, you <laughs> decided to sign up for your first race. Tell me about that. Like, how did you decide to sign up for the race? And then let's talk about the race. Yeah, so the guys at my work, they went riding with me and I guess they thought, wow, she must be, she's fit or something. So they said, yeah. you should do this race coming up. It's the New Mexico state championship. And I said, no, I'm a runner. I, I don't, I don't want to do a race. And then they said, well, you're just scared. And then I had to, <laughs> so I had to prove them wrong that I wasn't scared. And so I, I showed up to this race and at the time the mountain biking scene was pretty small in New Mexico. They, yeah. they raced 
the professional and the expert categories as one category. And then there was intermediate and then there was beginner and you got to self seed and choose which category um, in the lower categories to sign up for. So you think that I was signed up for the beginner category, but <laughs> I saw that there was no women signed up in the sport category and it was the state championship. So I thought, well, sweet. Like all I have to do is, is, is finish the race and I'll be the state champion. Yeah. L- little did I know, you know, how long it was going to take me to finish the distance of the intermediate race. So I'd like to have this amazing story where I showed up and I was amazing at my first race, but I really wasn't. I had no idea what I was doing. I was, (laughs) I was under equipped on a bike that like barely worked and I walked a lot, but yeah, I I just, I just kept going and I finished the race, but everybody was gone except for, except for me and the race promoter. And at that point that the distance of race that I was doing, it should have taken maybe an hour and a half, but I think I was Uh out there for like four hours or something. But I was so stoked that I said, this was amazing. I'm, I'm doing this again. And I went and I spent all my savings on a new bike. Yep. And I signed up for my next race. And the next race went better. And I ended up meeting people who were able to mentor me. Sorry, my, my dog is very excited. <laughs> I love he's, it. He's cheering for me. <laughs> I'm um, excited too. So good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I met some people at my second race who were able to mentor me and, and give me some really good advice. And I kind of went all in from there. So what, what, what was the kind of advice that they gave you? Uh, things about nutrition, actually. Like, huh. this, is, this is how you eat as an athlete, because I didn't really know a whole lot about it back then. Yeah. Um, like, I read Women's Health in high school, and that was pretty much the extent of that. So, like, how do you, what do you eat before a race? What do you eat during a race? And, you know, this changes depending on how long the race is. And a, an awesome woman, woman I met at the second race, her name's Nina Baum, and she was on the UNM cycling team, and she was kind of in charge of it. And the, the collegiate cycling scene back then, and I'm not sure what it's like now, but it was very much club teams uh-huh. associated. So she invited me to just come join the UNM cycling team. So I did that immediately. And then I had people to ride with, people where I could learn more about training, um, which in endurance sports, <laughs> we tend to think, well, if I just work harder, if I just ride my bike more, yeah. then I'm going to get faster. So I, I had to learn the hard way multiple times about overtraining, but just having people around you who um, are doing the same things or that re- you can learn from them is important. And I think yeah. the most important thing that I learned was that I was in school to get my, I ended up getting my bachelor's and my master's degree in electrical engineering, because as I mentioned before, my family is very academic focused. Yeah. And I thought that there was this path that I had to follow and that's what everybody did in my family. And yep. by surrounding myself with other people whose dream was really to become a profession, a professional athlete and where it was actually becoming a reality for me, I was allowed to, to dream big in that way and to break the mold of what was acceptable in my family and be around people who were going for a similar dream. And I felt like it was okay to do that. And that was incredibly powerful. So yeah, your community that you became a part of was the one that was pushing you forward as opposed to you know, yourself. I mean, obviously yourself, but also your family. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a huge, a huge point, you know, and you hear all these cliche things about like, you know, surround yourself with the people that you want to be, but it's a cliche for a reason. It's because it's totally true, you know? Yeah, and also um, in individual sports versus team sports, endurance athletes, it can be a really isolating and, and you know, lonely road because a lot yeah. of the training that you do is by yourself. And when you're racing, you're by yourself. And how things are structured, especially now, like there's not a ton of teams. A lot of it is done by yourself. So being able to build that community around around you that can support you and 
you know, the, the quote, it takes a village to help support a single athlete. It's, it's so true. And you, it's really hard to do it on your own. Well, so at that point, you now have this community, you have this training team, um, you've done a couple of races. Um, where did you go from there? Uh, well, I decided that I wanted to just try to become a professional racer. And what that means in cycling is, is it's, it's probably different than other sports. So there's a, a, a national and worldwide cycling federation and there's points that you have to win or points that you have to acquire at national level races in order to upgrade. So, you know, if you sign up for your first race, you can sign up in the beginner or intermediate category, but as you get better, you have to get points to upgrade. So I started trying to spend all my money and all my time going to races around um, the United States, trying to mm -hmm. get points so that I could become a, prof a carded professional. And fortunately it took me two years, but I was able to do it pretty quickly from when I first started riding. And mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't say that I have natural talent. I would say that the sports that I did my entire life and the running that I was doing before I found cycling all led me to that, that moment. And uh -huh. I don't believe in overnight success. And I don't believe in athletes who are just quote naturals who overnight become um, professional. So I, I don't want to give that that uh, impression that because I became a pro in two years that I was this like naturally gifted person. Yeah. Um, yeah. And at the time, you know, I was still in school. I, I moved to, to Boulder, Colorado to get my master's degree, mostly because I wanted to, again, surround myself with people who there, I mean, Boulder is home of some of the top endurance athletes in the world. Yeah. So I wanted to move there, but I didn't want to work as a full-time engineer at, at, at a job. I wanted flexibility so that I could train. So I decided to go to grad school instead. <laughs> good call good call I yeah like it sounds pretty funny I went and joined I went to grad school for engineering so I could be, become a pro mountain biker yeah and yeah I just it just progressed from there I just started doing more and more races and um, doing better at the professional level in these races but I would say that I, I kind of plateaued because I was doing cross-country distance and what that means is if you want to most people are familiar with running yeah. Um, it'd be like doing like the 10 K or the half marathon in terms uh -huh. of distances. And I was never a top, top pro. And I realized that I was making all these sacrifices and spending all this money and going after it year after year. But I was always, you know, in the top 20, I wasn't in the top five. And, yeah. and so I, I wasn't really going to get to where I, where I needed to go if I wanted to progress in my career. And I also, I thought about, you know, changing sports or, or stopping racing because it's, you know, sponsorship is really difficult in endurance sports. And yeah. yeah, I was sacrificing a lot to, to get around. So I decided, so, well, someone said to me like, Hey, you should try endurance racing, which would be the equivalent of, you know, marathon or ultra marathon and running. So I thought, yeah. Oh, I'll try that. So I tried a 50 miler and then I tried a um, hundred miler. And it turned out that I was actually really good at the really long distance stuff. And mm -hmm. I started winning lots of races and from there, it evolved into multi-day races, like seven-day races. And I started getting invited to races around the world. And again, that, that's one of those examples, like we talked about earlier, Kelly, how just being open to trying something a little bit different yeah. is, is so important to have that flexibility. So that I really attribute that to how I've been able to continue pivoting in my career. Yeah, God, that's so interesting. I mean, just to bring it back to something that you said that really stuck with me, it was that all of the sports that you played kind of contributed to you being an elite level athlete at something completely different than what those sports were. And, you know, I think that we, these days when, when we have parents um, that are, have their kids playing uh, 
these single sports at a time, I don't think they quite realize that what they're doing there where they're actually hindering their children's development as opposed to um, having them, them grow faster. And I mean, that seems like the perfect example of that is like, you know, you played all these other sports, but it wasn't any of those sports that you actually were able to go pro in. Yeah. And I mean, I think that you get confidence, like you gain confidence in your ability to try new things the more you do. And if you just do the same thing over and over and over, you might think, Oh, I'm really good at this one thing. But if you've seen that you've been able to not even excel at the highest level, but just progress and improve, then it gives you confidence. And I think a lot of times we're so focused on, you know, being the best at something instead of looking at our daily actions and our daily wins and just saying, well, how did I get better today? And those, those 1% improvements really accumulate over time. And, and they really are what matter the most. Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's so interesting. So let's let's jump into your mentality a little bit when you kind of found yourself in the top 20, but not the top five. What was that <laughs> like, kind of having that realization of like, I don't like, I don't know if I could get there. I mean, you're, you're questioning even switching sports. So talk, talk to me about the mental side of that. I'm going to take it back another step to my, sure. fir- my first year racing prof- as a professional, um, because I think people, this will really resonate with people. <laughs> I was a perfectionist big time growing up. Like I was always the one getting the good grades in school and everything. Yep. It was like the, the Carol Dweck fixed mindset. Like everything was, totally. everything came easy. And, um, you know, I was afraid that showing, showing a bad result would be validation that I wasn't good enough. And it was a, a big awakening whenever I went to my first professional race in Colorado. And also that year in grad school, I was in one of the, t- the toughest uh, programs. And I went from, like school being something I could work hard at and get A's at to school being something I would work hard at and barely get a B minus. And the same thing happened in my racing that year. I I showed up to these professional races and I was coming in second to last place and I was working hard and doing my best. And that was a really hard thing to swallow. Like I would cry while racing my bikes. You can imagine (laughs) like riding and like, ah, (laughs) and I, I (laughs) I wanted to quit so badly. And I would think about, you know, poking a hole in my tire or, or having something happen so that I would have a reason as to why I wasn't good enough. Uh-huh. And it was, it was a super important life lesson to go through that and to stick with it. And it, it was because I was going to yoga and learning about self-acceptance and mindfulness, um, mm-hmm. you know, at a, a younger age that, that taught me um, that it's okay to fail and it's okay to not be the best at something. And it's about getting better. So that's really where that mindset started. So Whenever I, I saw that I was getting 20th place and I wasn't really getting any better, um, there was a few things. Number one, what, what was I willing to sacrifice in order to get to that top level if I would ever get there? Yeah. And I was still working. I was still, you know, I had a, a full-time job and a lot of pros at that level, you know, they had the support so that they didn't have to work and, yeah. or, or people would have support from their family. And I thought, well, that's just not going to happen. And I actually thought about, like, this is really crazy. <laughs> I thought about um, living in a tent for the summer <laughs> and joining a gym so I'd have a place to shower. And then I even thought about donating my eggs to try and make money so that yeah. I have even more money, which that doesn't really work because of all the hormone therapy you have to do. Uh, um, yeah. But, you know, I was thinking about going, going, trying to go to that, that level of, like, what can I do to make more time to train and recover? And I'm really yeah. glad I didn't do that. But, yeah, I mean, I think that, transitioning in sport is something that is a difficult conversation to have with yourself because it it really requires you being honest with yourself. And I also asked myself, you know, am I still passionate about this? Am I passionate about these shorter races? Do I love what I'm doing now? And the answer was no. 
And it wasn't because of the results. It was because I loved adventure and I loved riding my bike and the shorter course races, you tend to ride a lap race. So you'll do like a two to five mile loop and you'll just do that loop over and over and over Uh and it would be over in an hour and a half. And I wanted to have big adventures where I could go ride like for many, many, many hours and not ride the same trail twice. And whenever I traveled to new places, I wanted to see more than just that short track. So that's why whenever the, um, the idea of trying an endurance race where maybe you're doing one 50 mile loop or, you know, one 100 mile loop, that was really, really appealing to me. And what I learned from that was sure. I I was, I was a good endurance athlete, like ultra endurance athlete, because physiologically that, that worked for me, but really the longer the race gets, the, the more mental it gets. And I learned that mentally, you know, from, from a resilient standpoint, from a ability to just stay with the, the pain and the ability to recover from things happening because every single race, something goes wrong. I mean, it's, it's pretty rare where you have a perfect race and it's being able to sit with those things that go wrong and to wait them out and to, to be able to pick yourself up and keep going and knowing that it's going to get better. That really changed my life. I, you know, way outside of just cycling because resilience is, is, and mental toughness are things that you can only do. You can only get better at by practice. You, you can, you yeah. can't just read about it in a book. And I became addicted to that because I just kept thinking, well, what else am I capable of? And what else can I learn about myself? And, and then it became, well, what else can I teach other people about what I've learned about myself and help them through the, through their journey? Yeah. 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 No, completely. And like, I, I, I mean, just thinking about the endurance races themselves and the mental toughness of that, that that takes, I could totally see how on the short track, um, it just gets monotonous where you're just, you're just going in a circle, right? It's the reason that I don't like to run on a rubber track, like at a school, right? I, I'd much rather go run a trail. That's going to be something totally different. And it just keeps your mind um, almost like busier because it's something you haven't seen before. I can totally see how the, uh, how the endurance race would, would definitely resonate with you. Yeah. I think, I mean, for the Olympics and mountain biking, that shorter course cross country style is the only distance in the Olympics. So if you were to look at the core of the sport and where the majority of the media is, it actually is in that shorter course racing. And and that type of racing is more about racing, racing other people, um, you know, dealing with Mm -hmm. high, high stress situations. And I have a lot of respect for those types of racers because you know, that, that is a whole other animal that also is another form of mental toughness. But, oh, yeah. and I, but I think it depends on the individual. Like for me, I really like racing myself and of course I'm racing other people out there as well, but I, I love yeah. going into that space in my, in my mind by myself because having that relationship with yourself and having just, yeah, having a relationship with yourself, you're going to, you're the only one that you're going to be with your whole life. And getting to know yourself better, getting to know how to be better in every single situation and challenging yourself that way. It just is, it's just so powerful. So let's now jump to, you've kind of figured out that endurance racing is, is your thing. Um, what, around what time in your like racing career was that? Um, that was about 10 years ago. So I was race, I was doing cross country for six years. Yep. Yeah. So it was around 2010 where I, yeah, I did a hundred miler in Breck and I did start Breckenridge, Colorado. And then I started doing some of these multi-day races. And so let's, let's talk about, you know, your career from then to, to now. I mean, how did you, one, let's start with, um, how did you 
find the sponsorship? What was the hardest part about being able to continue this um, in your career? Two, um, what was the the hardest race that you ended up having to do? And, and the, the, what was the hardest challenge within that race? I think it's interesting because, you know, we just switched over to 2020 and everybody was, yeah. has been talking about, you know, what, what has they done in the last decade? And I started thinking about that and that that's crazy. Like that's my life really <laughs> changed in the last decade. And yeah. I, I never in my wildest dreams imagined that I would have done the things that I've done 10 years later. Uh, so yeah, like I, I just started doing some of these races and the interesting thing is that stage races or multi-day racing is incredibly expensive. Mm -hmm. An entry fee is two or $3,000. And that doesn't wow. even include like the travel. If, if, if you're going to another country, that doesn't include any of the travel, which also adds up quite substantially. And at a lot of these stage races, you actually, the race offers um, a tent village. So you sleep in a tent every single night. Uh -huh. Some races you can actually stay in a hotel and that costs extra, or you just stay in the tents for, for a better race performance. It's better not to stay in the tent, but from a, um, an experience standpoint, I actually do recommend staying in the tents. So I thought, well, I want to go to more of these. I've been invited to a couple where everything was paid for, but I want to yeah. be able to choose, pick and choose. So I thought, well, what, what am I good at? How can I exploit my skills? <clears throat> and I had been writing a blog for probably four years uh -huh. about, about just like biking. And I, I didn't even really think that many people read it, but I, I decided to pitch to cycling magazines, feature articles on my experience going to some of these races and then I would go to the race and say, hey, I'm a writer. Um, I'm also a professional racer, and I want to come to your race, and I'm going to help you promote it through my blog, through writing for these, these magazines, mm -hmm. and you know, when Facebook and, and those things started happening through social media. So, yeah. I, so that was how, that's how I was able to, quote, fund my racing. I, the races would cover my expenses to come do the race. And I would write an article for a magazine and just start telling stories about the experience. And, That's awesome. and I, I think the reason why this was successful for me is because I'm not afraid to be open and vulnerable about what really went down. Yeah, <laughs> and, totally. And also it wasn't about like, he passed me, then she passed me. It was like, this is what I experienced as a human being and the raw human emotions that I went through. Yeah. And, and this is what it was like to actually be there. And it's something that everybody can experience in their own life. And you don't have to be a professional or fast to have those feelings. And I think that that was a really great starting point for me to realize what brings people value. And then I yeah. started thinking, well, what brings a brand value? Because I was still working. Um, I still had a job. I, I still had, I didn't have any sponsors covering, you know, my expenses. I had sponsors yeah. covering my equipment, but you can't pay, you know, you can't pay your rent with equipment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So totally. I started thinking, you know, what is it that that's going to bring value? And I was on a team and everything, but the team wasn't covering my entry fees. Like there was, there was no, and there was no opportunity to make money. And I kept asking, can I, you know, can I make money doing this? And they were reserving the money for their world cup cross country team. And yeah. I found that really frustrating because I thought that I brought way more value to those companies sponsoring the team than the World of Cup course. cross country racers because of the way that I was choosing to share my experiences. So in 20, let's see what year it was, I think it was 2014. I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to quit my job. And my job was also tied up with my team. I, I was doing um, sales and marketing for one of my sponsors that owned the team I was on. Gotcha. I thought I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to quit the team and I'm going to get my own sponsors. I'm going to write my own proposals 
because I think that I'm, I can bring value to brands. And, totally. and so you know, we used, it used to be back in the day that you would um, get sponsored because you were winning races and because media was writing articles about you. But I was doing a, a discipline where the media didn't really cover it on its own. So I started creating my own content around these races through these articles in magazines. So I, yeah. t- I took control of that and I built my own basically media machine around what I was doing so that I could really connect with people and, and be like somebody's friend that's reading my article. And I said to these sponsors, like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to use your products. I'm going to write reviews of your products. I'm going to, I'm going to share like why I'm using these products. And, yeah. and really I have credibility with the people that follow me because they, they trust me. So you should sponsor me so that I can help you sell product. Yeah. And I think that that's a different mentality that a lot of like a lot of young athletes don't have that mentality. They think go fast and sponsor me where it really should be. I'm an, I'm an employee of your brand. I'm an extension. Totally. I'm an extension of your marketing team. And I ended up being able to, for the last yeah, six years, I've been making a living off, off sponsorships with that mentality of I'm going to bring value to you as a part of your team. Um, and and I've, I've started lots of other ventures on the side as well, but that's been a really powerful and I, thing. And I, I feel really lucky that I've been able to do that because most professional racers cannot make a living racing because it's so, so hard. And, yeah. and it's still so hard. Like every year I have to negotiate my own sponsorships and it's always yep. incredibly nerve wracking and it's very relationship based. So you could have a relationship with a person at a brand and they could leave. And a new person could come in and that person doesn't know you or, or doesn't like you and you're gone. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's been a really um, like a great learning experience in terms of um, telling somebody what your value is and learning yeah. how different size businesses work and learning how to negotiate. And I mean, those skills are not something that I thought I was going to learn from cycling. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so interesting. And I think that's such a good message that you say about, um, the sponsorship side, because I have people all the time, you know, ask me about being sponsored by, you know, I, I was sponsored by Nike my entire career. And so being sponsored by a big brand like that, and it's like, oh, that's the dream, right? And it's just, you get this idea in your mind of, well, you just get free stuff all the time, and they're just going to basically make you famous. And I think <laughs> that you really like took the, took the, the right view of that, which is like, no, 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 this can be like mutually beneficial here. Like, yeah, they can help me, but I want to also help them and their products are great. So um, it's, it's a kind of win-win on all accounts. And I think that's a really good lesson for, for people listening when it comes to um, connecting with brands and, and potentially being able to follow your own dreams as, as you've been able to do. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so let's talk about that, uh, that 2015 year. I mean, you're the world champion in 2015. Talk to me about how that happened. That was kind of a surprise, to be honest. It wasn't this goal that I had set out, you know, years in advance or even that year. It just sort of happened. (laughs) Well, so the discipline that I won uh, was 24-hour racing. And I've done some, Uh and I'll explain what that is in a second, but I had done some 24-hour racing and I had been national champion a few times in that discipline. But what that is, is (laughs) not my favorite type of racing. You ride like laps for 24 hours so you're Uh riding like the laps are much longer than a cross-country race like one lap is an hour to an hour and a half in terms of time and maybe you know 10 to 20 miles depending on how technical it is Mm -hmm. 
but I had never actually done solo. I had done like two person team. I had done four person team for the nationals. Mm -hmm. Solo just sounded like this horrible thing that I never wanted to do. (laughs) But I had done this other race that was a a 125 mile loop. It started at midnight and it takes a really long time, not quite 24 hours. So a friend of mine said, Hey, the, the 24 hour world championships are in the United States this year and I'm going. I thought, Oh, well, I don't really have anything on my calendar for this month. Maybe I'll just, I, I, I had always wanted to do one solo and I thought, yeah. well, if I just go do this one, I can just check it off and it might as well just be at the world championships. Sure. So, yeah. So I ended up doing the world. This was like a month later. So I dusted <laughs> off my lights and I started calling all these people that I knew had been world champion before in 24 hour racing, just saying, you know what, the same thing I did when I first started racing, what do I do for, yeah. from a nutrition perspective and what about pacing yeah. And granted, I knew my body incredibly well because of all the endurance uh, racing I had done, you know, the yeah. five years leading up to that. And so, yeah, I, I went to this race and it was really hard. <laughs> you ride your bike. I literally was stopped for a total of seven minutes to basically go to the bathroom or change out the batteries on my lights at night oh my um, God. in 24 hours. And I ended up winning the race and it was, it was pretty awesome because the field that year was a stacked field. Like they had people who had yeah. won tons of big 24 hour races they had the 24 hour or they had the adventure racing world champion um Mm -hmm. female there racing the 24 hour race so it was it was a pretty cool experience and it was it was really neat to have that happen in my home country as well yeah wow that's yeah that's absolutely incredible (laughs) yeah it was that was really long and um the funny thing is with 24 hour racing, people think, and, and even I think this sometimes if I just think about tw- the span of 24 hours is that your perception of time changes whenever you're doing something that takes a long time. And this could be yeah. like, even like a three hour event, but for a 24 hour event, I would just break, I just broke it down into how long a hundred miler would take. And most hundred mile mountain bike races take seven to eight hours. So I thought, mm-hmm. well, this is, this is like 400 mile mountain bike races. So I'll just hit those milestones one at a time. And it didn't really seem like I was out there for 24 hours. Like time went by really, really fast. Yeah. But when I finished, I, it was, it was crazy. Like my eye muscles were so, so painful <laughs> and actually people go blind, like temporary blind, temporarily blind in 24 hour races. Like it's actually a common wow. thing. And yeah, some of the top men had to drop out that year because yeah, y- y- your eyes stop working because there were, I don't know exactly the reason why, but I just remember my eye muscles were sore. And I was thankful that I didn't go temporarily blind. And yeah, my back hurt so bad. I remember I was trying to get in the car because you're stuck in one position for so long. I like put my head, I had to like stick my head in and just fall into the car because I couldn't actually stand up or sit down. Yeah. (laughs) And like to go to the bathroom at the hotel, they, we we somehow were in a handicap room. Thank goodness. Because they had the the handicap, yeah, yeah, the handicap rails on the toilet. So I could like get myself (laughs) on and off. So it wasn't pretty, but (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of the reality of the sport there. I mean, God, that's so fascinating to me. Like, I mean, for 24 hours, what are you, what are you thinking about that whole time? Uh, you're mostly actually pretty present. Like how, like you're getting through what, one lap at a time and the conditions of the course change and the light changes and you're just trying to think, okay, am I eating? Like what, what, what's coming up? What's the next corner? What's my time split? I don't know. Your mind just gets quiet. I think it's probably that, that flow state. And certainly I wasn't in a flow state for 24 hours, Yeah. but 
Yeah. I mean, you can't think, oh, I have so much longer to go or everything hurts. Like you just can't start thinking like that. You have to, you have to think, what am I doing now? What do I need to do to execute this next lap? I mean, I know that for myself when, when I've done like long distance runs, um, like you said, you kind of go into this different mentality of like, okay, well I'm starting now and I'm going to end for me, it would be three or four hours from now. Um, and, and so my mentality is different where it's like, okay, well, let's just, here we are. We're 30 minutes in. That's good. We've still got this little ways to go. Like, but I know that towards the end of it, it was painful and it was, oh my goodness, how am I going to continue? Do you have that exact same kind of thought process through a, a race like that? Uh, I, I actually somehow did not have that in the 24 hour race. And I think it's because I, I somehow managed to pace it perfectly. I felt like I could keep going, but with lots of other races I do, especially like a hundred miler or yeah, particularly hundred milers or stage races where you have to show up every single day to race, you know, 50 to a hundred miles every day and you're exhausted. I definitely have those thoughts of, Oh, like you start thinking about the finish line and you just start thinking about, you start wishing it away. And uh, I did a, (laughs) um, it was an eight day race in South Africa about a year ago, or it was like last March. Yeah. And I remember thinking I, I was a little bit undertrained for it because I had to do the entire training in my garage, like on my indoor bike ah, because it yeah. was winter. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, yeah, the, the, the mantra don't wish it away came up during that race. Don't wish like away it. the pain. Don't wish away that this to be over soon. Yeah. And another thing that I do whenever it gets really hard and I want to quit or I just want it to be over is I remind myself that the intensity of those emotions aren't going to be permanent. And whenever you're yep. done with whatever it is that you're doing, your race or your run or, or your training, it's, yeah. it's always like this distant memory that, that, that intense pain and that intense longing to quit and give up. It's not nearly as bad once you're done. So I just remind yeah. myself that, yeah, in like 10 hours or, or three hours or however long it's going to be, I'm going to be sitting in a chair, having a beer, talking to my <laughs> friends. And this moment is not going to be nearly as intense as I remember. So I just got to keep going. And you're going to feel so incredibly accomplished because you did it. You didn't stop. You kept going and you finished. Yeah. I mean, it's a muscle. Like I, there's, there's people that, and, and I mean, there's reasons, real reasons to quit races, but if you quit just because you're uncomfortable or you're not doing as well as you want, like that, that's mental weakness. And you start yeah. reinforcing that mental weakness and you lose integrity with yourself if you start quitting every single time. So knowing that, hey, like I'm actually doing something positive for myself as long as I'm not damaging myself by continuing this. And next time it gets hard, it's going to be easier for me to keep going. And there's going to be other things in my life that happen where I want to quit. And it's going to be easier for me because I'm going to remember that time or all those times where it got hard. And I know that I could trust myself to keep going. So you win the world championships in 2015. What does it look like from 2015 to today? Mostly just focusing on stage races. I did yeah. go back to defend my um, my title the following year, and the following year was in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I, I didn't really want to. Um, I wasn't, like, stoked about continuing to do 24-hour racing. Yeah. <laughs> and I was out on a training ride, and it was wet, and I somehow slipped off. My bike slipped off a bridge, and I crashed on my head. Oh. And I got a concussion, and I couldn't I couldn't do the race. And at the time I was, I was actually pretty gutted because I traveled all the way to New Zealand. I did yeah. all the prep work. I was ready to go. Um, so, but I had to choose not to start the race because let's face it, a 24 hour race with a concussion is just not a good idea. Yeah, and, exactly. It's, it's hard enough without that. But then my husband said, well, you know what? That's, a, that's actually a good thing because you probably win and then you'd probably be winning every year and then you'd have to keep going back every year. <laughs> so I thought, okay. Good problem to have. Yeah. 
so yeah, I've been really focused on, um, multi like stage races. I've raced my bike in about 25 countries and finding like the hardest, um, multi-day races out there because man, like you get to, I've raced my bike in like Morocco and Haiti and like Mongolia and Sri Lanka and Nepal. I mean, just all these places. So you get to see all these different cultures around the world. You get to see places that are so remote that most people would never see because you're seeing it from your bike. And most of these races are point to point every day. So you cover a large part of a country and you get to have meet people and have these experiences that you just, it, they are really what have given my life so much substance and meaning. Yeah. So I've yeah. really been focused on that. And I, I am slowing down this year. I'm actually expecting a baby in two months. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. So I'm taking the year off of these like crazy epic stage races. Um, but it's been fun because I've done so much now that I actually feel like I'm not giving something up to take a year or two where I'm racing more domestically. Yeah. Yeah, no, I could totally see that. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. And how exciting to be uh, adding to the family. Yeah. And it's been a really interesting experience because there aren't very many endurance athletes that get pregnant and then continue racing afterwards. Like Uh a lot of, a lot of people retire and I'm not interested in retiring at the moment. So, um, the whole experience of going through, well, what was my body feel like? And what am I allowed to do? And what, what is too much? And uh-huh. there isn't really a lot of information out there. Yeah. And like, what are my sponsors going to do? And you know, how am I going to manage my time afterwards? And how am I going to choose strategically what races to go to? Like it's, it's a whole new process and it's, it's been really hard to be quite frank. And I, I've been writing blog posts about it, Yeah. but it's also, um, a nice, a nice change of pace because it gives me something, something else to be challenged by. Totally. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's also an opportunity, right? Because as you said, there's not very much out there to talk about that. And, uh, you know, just through our conversation, obviously, I can tell you're somebody that um, looks at that and will say, oh, you know what, I can share this experience in a very open and honest way with people. And there's gonna be a lot of value that can be given. Yeah, for sure. And I'm really interested in um, the birth part, because Mm -hmm. I've I've interviewed some athletes on my podcast, like Ironman World Champions, and Leadville 100 winners, like who have had you know, babies. And they said that the pain of birth is way worse than the pain of any race. But then I've also spoken with amateur racers who have done similar events. And they, they all said that, that birth is way easier than doing all of those events. So I thought about this at great length and I thought, well, maybe professionals are able to better mentally prepare for the pain that's coming with, with their event because they've done it before. Whereas maybe an amateur hasn't. Yeah. And with birth, you, you can't really mentally like there's some you can do some mental preparation. And I am doing the ty- type of class where it's it's more mental, but mm-hmm. there's no way that I can anticipate what that's actually going to feel like. Whereas with, yeah. <laughs> an, with a race, I know what that's going to feel like. So that part is the only thing that I'm nervous about is I don't know exactly what it's going to feel like. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's go back through throughout your entire career. What do you think was like the hardest point in time? What was was there like a moment where you weren't you just weren't sure about this future i would say that 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 time when i was coming 20th in the cross-country races not knowing where i should go next and if i'm ever gonna make it if i'm ever gonna um be able to like make a living doing it and i i I wouldn't have quit racing bikes altogether because i just love riding my bike but that was a really difficult time because i thought well how am i gonna make this work because like i have my master's degree i'm working at this job um, I'm, I'm going to these races, but I'm just not getting anywhere. What, and, and, you know, honestly, I feel like that a lot. Like 
it's hard. Like I mentioned, it's hard um, uh, to get all your own sponsors. And every year I think, okay, here we go. Like, this is going to be really hard. And, and where am I yep. going to go next? And now that I've been doing ultra endurance racing for 10 years or, or nine years, I, I'm also kind of wondering like, how long do I want to keep doing this style of racing? Because yeah, I love it. And I've carved in a niche for myself and I become a specialist there, but I'm not a hundred percent challenged by it anymore. Like I'm not afraid whenever I register for a race and, yeah. and I want to feel afraid whenever I register for a race. And there, there's different disciplines within mountain biking. Um, I've done some enduro racing, which is like you ride. It's like you do a huge, a huge ride that day. It's like a five hour day but yeah. only certain downhill sections are timed. And I've done, uh-huh. I've done some of that and I really enjoy that. But the, the risk of injuries is much higher whenever you're doing that type of racing. So I'm a little yeah. bit unsure. And I also really want to dabble in some running trail running and ultra running and get kind of get back to that. So I might start just adding in a bunch of different things again. Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, I've, I've thought about that myself. I have a couple of friends um, that are ex pro soccer players that, uh, transitioned into ultra marathons after after playing and i can certainly see why it's that same kind of thing it's like how do i how do i continue to almost get that fear of um of competition you know when you know you you've reached a plateau in soccer so let me try something else and that is a bit scary yeah so i, I think that if i like i'm not transitioning yet but if i do make a transition it will be to running mm-hmm. because i already have some events in mind where i'm I'm thinking like, I don't even know if I could finish that. That, that seems really crazy. And that excites, yeah. that excites me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Most people get scared, but nope, you get excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's just like, we get addicted to pushing ourselves and, and taking on new challenges and sure. I, I could take on longer and longer and longer bike races, but I just, I don't really want to, I'm not interested. Like there's one called race across America that th- uh-huh. this race has been trying to get me to do where you literally race nonstop across America, but like, that's just a little bit too much for me. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. That is crazy to even think about. Well, let's, let's talk about some of your other projects. I mean, you have your podcast, you have your writing, you have your apparel brand, Moxie and Grit. Um, let's, let's jump into that. Yeah. So that's been pretty fun. It's kind of happened gradually over time. Yeah. Because mostly because I, I love being challenged out, off the bike. And as I mentioned before, I did sales and marketing, helping build a brand in the United States. So mm-hmm. I kind of know what it takes to, to build something. And with some of my sponsors, I'll start with Moxie and Grit. With some of my yeah. sponsors, I was, I was creating like co-branded products that we were selling. Yep. And it was a really cool opportunity to just try out some of my ideas and see if people wanted to you know, actually buy stuff that was my idea and have another brand kind of help me through that. Yeah, totally. And I realized like, well, maybe I should just start my own brand. <laughs> so yeah. that was only about a year and a half ago, but it's, it's like socks and cycling jersey. Like it's primarily cycling and running socks that have sure. really funny and quirky sayings or um, graphics on them. Uh-huh. And yeah, like unicorns and <laughs> yeah. So Don't people, my daughter. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty fun and it, it's kind of evolved into like jerseys and t-shirts and hats and, it, it was just this thing I was trying to do for fun so that people could have something that meant something to them that they could put on for that day that they're doing that crazy adventure. And yeah, it's been fun totally. on our Moxie and Grit social media account because people tag us on that day where they're going out and they're trying that thing for the first time. And it just, it's cool to be a part of someone's adventure and to be able to inspire them to maybe go a little bit harder with just a saying or something that, that, that resonates with them. Yeah. God, yeah, that's really cool. I mean, I, I think that that's such a, good way for 
your community to be able to you know support you, but also um, connect with you at the same time. Yeah, and I also love the exercise of of building the business. Like I had, yeah. I have to figure out, okay, where am I manufacturing? How am I shipping? I'm sh- we ship all over the world. Like where, how how am I going to manage the inventory yep. and the sh- and how am I going to manage the marketing and how do I build my team around me? Because I can't, I don't have the capacity to do by myself all the things that I'm doing. So that's also been a great learning experience. Yeah. Well, let's also talk about your, your podcast. I mean, we've been a little bit through the show, mm-hmm. but um, you can kind of talk to our audience about that. Yeah. The podcast has been really cool. I'm coming up on, it'll be three years and a few months here that I've been doing the show, which sounds crazy. But <laughs> I first started the podcast because I thought, well, I've, I've met lots of people and I know lots of really cool stories and I just, I love podcasts and audio. And yeah. at the time everyone's telling me to do video and do YouTube, but I don't like YouTube and I don't like sitting down and just watching videos. Yeah. That's just my personality. So I thought, well, how cool I could do this. I could do audio and it's mm-hmm. such a great way to be able to connect with people and have conversations because if you think about it, it's really rare whenever you sit down and you have a one hour or, or more or less conversation with someone that you've never met. And, yeah. and even the opportunity where like, for me, my pot, the podcast is my mentor. Like I, I read a book or I come across someone I think is inspiring and I invite them to come on my show and yep. I get to learn from them. I get to ask them whatever I want. And, and that is so enriching. And then taking it another step further is, you know, it used to be that my blog would be the things people, t- people would come up to me and say, Oh, I love your blog. Or it'd be like Facebook or Instagram But now it's a podcast and podcasting is such a powerful tool to help change the world and to help people be better every day in their lives. And like my purpose when I first started as a, as a racer and wanting to be a professional was I wanted to prove myself and I wanted to, to be a pro and I wanted to get paid or like to ride my bike. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it was about proving that I was good enough. And then once I I started feeling like, okay, you know, I've, I've kind of achieved that or I don't need that validation anymore it really yeah. changed to something beyond myself where I just really, the, the thing that gets me the most excited way more than winning a race is getting an email from somebody that read something that I wrote or heard one of my podcasts where it's really yeah. helping them in their life. And to me, that is like my broader vision for the rest of my career is like, how can I continue to build things or connect with people in a way through my experiences and through new, new things I've learned and bring people, you know, bring people to other experts where they can be better every day. And that is just so, so awesome that I get to do that. And I feel so lucky. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that is, that's absolutely incredible. Um, and let's, let's jump into the plant powered tribe as well. Yeah. So th- this has been fun because I, so I've been a plant-based athlete for almost seven years now. Mm-hmm. And actually I started winning more of my races, including the 24 hour world championship after I changed my diet. Um, I wasn't expecting to see a performance benefit from changing my diet. I watched Forks Over Knives, which is an older documentary in 2012. And at the, um, at the suggestion of my now husband, who was already eating plant-based. And I thought, Mm -hmm. wow, like I never linked disease to nutrition. And I started just like doing my own research and reading more and more about it. And I thought, well, if this is true, I need to change my diet, but I'm an endurance athlete and I don't know if I can. And I don't really know anybody else that is doing this. So I did it gradually. And as I mentioned, I saw huge performance gains, which I I wasn't expecting. It was a nice side effect. And I didn't actually tell anybody about the way that I ate until just a couple of years ago, because diet is so polarizing. It's like talking about religion and politics. And I didn't want to, (laughs) I didn't want to offend people or I didn't want people to feel like I was judging them. 
But I thought this is really important to me. And if people want to try this and this is something that they want to include in their lives or if they just want to eat more plants and like if they still want to eat meat, whatever. But I can be a resource to people to help them if if this is something they're interested in doing. So I put it out there and and it ended up being way, way better than I thought. Like so many people were interested and so many people wanted to make changes. So I thought, man, like what else can I do? So (laughs) I started a Facebook group. It's called Plant Power Tribe. And last year I I published my own cookbook. That's like a digital cookbook people can get. And I'm working on launching um, Plant Power Tribe website as well. And and also working on a book about how to be a plant-based athlete. So it's been really cool to just be able to help people be healthier and feel better. I mean, God, I think all of these things are uh, are so amazing. And it's, it's funny because I'm sitting here thinking like, man, you remind me a lot about myself, like just finding the passion and then trying to figure out a way to make a living doing it. So you basically don't ever have to work a day in your life and exploring all these various aspects of things that you're interested in and just trying to trying to see where you can go with them. Totally. And it's funny, people ask me like, well, do you regret getting your master's degree in engineering? And do you think you'll ever go back? And I don't regret getting my master's because I learned how to work really hard. I learned about time management. I learned about like how to think in a certain way that's actually really beneficial. And I, I don't ever plan on going back. And it is scary to be out, you know, on my own. Like, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like in five years. There is, yeah. there is a bit of uncertainty there. But that uncertainty is also what excites me because it pushes me to, to learn and to try new things and to just keep evolving. And the idea of doing the same thing every day, just that I can't do that. <laughs> I know. Same. It's just boring. <laughs> <laughs> um, so where can everybody find information about you? The best place is just to go to sonyalooney.com, my website. Like everything we talked about is linked on there. And also mm-hmm. um, my Instagram, which is sonyalooney1, like the number one. Um, those are the two places where I'm most active and yeah, I have a weekly newsletter that, that my pot, I, I have two podcast episodes that come out per week. I have a Thursday episode with an interview and a Monday episode. That's more of like a, a coaching, like a mental skills coaching, um, podcast. It's usually about 10 to 15 minutes. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to connect with your, the audience here and totally super stoked to have, be, have been on this show and get to chat with you. Yeah, I know. So fascinating for me. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and, um, Best of luck in in all of your endeavors. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot. Today's episode of Athletes Rising is brought to you by Cinch. Cinch is an API-driven sports management platform that simplifies the registration and management process for parents, coaches, directors, and organizations. No more jumping between apps or websites trying to figure out where all of your kids' information is. Cinch puts your entire sporting life in the palm of your hand. Do you or your organization run any kind of camps? Cinch is going to be your answer. Download the app, register your organization, create your camp program, and publish. It's as simple as that. All done from your tablet. Now any parents can search and register their players directly from their phone. You can manage all of your registrations, communications, finances, and even marketing all from your tablet. That's right. Cinch is a mobile app. So as an organization, you can have it with you out on the field as well as at home or in your office. To learn more about Cinch and all that it has to offer, visit the website at cinchhq.com or download the apps from the App Store and Google Play.